Save the date for the 12th of September. Join our webinar on digital transformation in manufacturing. We are exploring how IoT, AI and smart factories are reshaping our sector. Hear from industry leaders like Airbus, Rolls-Royce and Heriot Watt University. This is a must attend for professionals and decision makers in manufacturing. So register now at resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. That's resources.red-fern.co.uk slash webinar. The link is also in the description. I had a great chat this week with Russell Watkins, an expert in all things associated with lean manufacturing. As you'll hear, he knows the subject inside out, so it was great to hear his insights and secrets. From his experiences in Japan, where lean was first invented, to a wealth of manufacturing companies across the UK that have benefited from his deep knowledge. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. From Redfern Media, this is Remake Manufacturing. My guest this week is Russell Watkins, the co-founder of Senpai, a lean manufacturing consultancy. Welcome to the show, Russell. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Nice to have you. So first of all, you got your degree in finance, but then you decided to switch things up and go into manufacturing. So my first question is, what made you fall in love with factories? Okay, so, uh, well, firstly, I've, I kind of fell out of love with, with finance because uh, it was accountancy and it was all about uh, counting the result of what people had done and not doing things. It struck me as, and forgive me, it struck me as a tiny bit parasitic. So, mm. um, and I kind of stumbled into manufacturing because my then girlfriend, now wife, and I wanted to go traveling. And to do that, we had to earn some money. Her mother worked in a factory in the purchasing department. So we, we got a job there. And it's a cliche, but the first time I stepped into that factory, it was like coming home. Just the, the noise, the smell, the making of something. Um, and making things has been a big part of my life. And it it's funny, it's kind of developed, kind of developed now. So it started off with making things. And now I'm about making people to make things. It, it kind of reflects to a, a lean belief that you, you make good people to make good things. Monozakuri, wahitos akuri is a Japanese phrase. So my love of factories and making things has developed into a love of making good people to make good things. Wow. Okay. Uh, and nowadays you work, many years later, after that first experience in the factory, you work with manufacturers to implement lean processes. So can you explain a little bit more about that for us? Sure. Um, so lean isn't new. The, the word is relatively new, last uh, 30 years or so. But actually, if you go back to Venetian boat builders, the, the Arsenal in Venice, they were working out how to build ships and galleons using uh, U-shaped cells. Uh, you can go to the American Civil War and interchangeable parts for guns. Um, and then Henry Ford tipped up and worked out how to bring the work to the people um, and really was the father of early lean. And then Toyota came along, codified it better, run lots of experiments and worked out how to do what Henry Ford couldn't. He could make you a Model T Ford in black, only one color. Um, <laughs> Toyota work, worked out how to do it uh, at low volumes on lots of stuff. So In all the colours. <laughs> in, in all the colours, yeah. So uh, lean, lean, lean manufacturing has been around for a long time and it's spread to a lot of industries, actually. And when you first learn about lean, you generally start to think of it in terms of cost reduction, uh, reducing costs to survive. And then you get to learn a bit more and your hands-on experience. You come into lead time reduction and then you start to define it as it's delivering more value using fewer resources. So anywhere, 
manufacturer or not, where there's a customer and a process to deliver value, there will be waste in that process. And Lean helps you to strip that out to flow your value to your customer better. Mm. So quite a rich history there. And how has it evolved since then? Where are we today with Lean? So today it's uh, it's now it's interesting. It's widespread in manufacturing, but the exemplars, people who are doing it really well are still quite low outside of Toyota and Toyota Group. Some are, people like Danaher, um, Wiremold have often done very well. Uh, but lots of people are using it to differing degrees and and they're using it really anywhere where they have safety, quality, delivery, cost or people issues, SQDCP. So if you think about any factory, any enterprise, they have to make sure they get uh, their people home with the same fingers and toes they came with. That's safety, mm. quality, ship good stuff to their customer, delivery, ship it on time, cost, do all of that within the right cost to make a profit. And people is the key bit. People is people to be able to run and control those factories or processes and improve them. And the real bit about lean, the secret source of lean is developing capability of your people to want to and to be able to improve their own jobs. In fact, there's a fellow called Gary Combis who used to work, I think, at Toyota, Kentucky, American, Japanese trained. And he was very quick on saying, my job isn't to do my job. My job is to improve the way I do my job. And that really is lean thinking. Hmm. And there can sometimes also be a bit of resistance to lean thinking, especially from from the, the shop floor. Do you want to just talk a little bit about that and how you managed to get around that issue? Yeah, well, it's 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 interesting, though. So um, most resistance doesn't come from the shop floor. You know, it comes from middle management layers and senior management. Um, the shop floor are perfectly fine if you frame it right. If if you come in as a noble consultant and try and do it to them on the shop floor, they will do what people will naturally do. If I came into your to your lounge and started moving your furniture around and telling you it, it was better, you wouldn't be particularly happy, I'd assume. Um, <laughs> so as, as long as you give people a why um, and you, you link what you're trying to do to their problems and uh, you get them involved, ask and listen, we have a ratio of two ears to one mouth for a reason. The people on the shop are generally okay and, and they'll, they'll let you try stuff with them. It's above that. So you have the short-termism at senior management level where you know, they, they want the early gains and the early wins, but they don't really want to put the effort in to sustain it and form the habits over the long term. Mm. Then you have the middle managers who have been reared on generations of firefighting. So the days go quickly and you feel like red air putting fires out. It's a very mm. different way of operating if you're in a stable, lean environment. And, you know, you're going through cycles of confirmation activity and you have more time to improve the process. But you don't have that firefighting. Uh, so essentially, we have to wean middle and upper management off of firefighting, like weaning them off crack cocaine or something. <laughs> and and your company's called Senpai. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? For example, uh, what does the name mean? Where does that come from? Yeah. So uh, Senpai's been going for about 15 years. Uh, we've been doing consultancy on four continents, 100 plus companies, 1,000 plus people. We work directly with large global manufacturers and some smaller manufacturers and helping them to improve the way their factories flow and their people's capability. Senpai is really, the name is informed from my Japanese experience. So uh, I was trained by Toyota mentors, one in particular from Toyota Japan who worked under Taiji Ono, who created the Toyota production system. And the Senpai Kohai relationship is a bit like a Japanese version of our boss subordinate. But rather than being a direct you work for me, do what I say thing. The senpai's job is to pass on knowledge, to expose the kohai to 
wisdom and knowledge and get them developed to the point where they can surpass their senpai. So it's about transferring knowledge. The kohai's job is to pin their ears back, get involved, support the senpai. The senpai also has to show a bit of um, weakness, open the kimono so that the, the kohai can learn from that. So right. that informs our business because we've always wanted to transfer knowledge. And actually the first 15 years we spent consulting, the last 13 years, the last two years, we've pivoted to a digital solution to try to scale it. And so what problems do your clients come to you with and how do you help solve them? So any, anybody who comes to us, they're, they're likely to have either pain or gain. And, and the pain will be, like I mentioned earlier, safety, quality, delivery, cost, or their people just aren't good enough. Their talent pipeline isn't strong enough and people aren't thriving in their jobs. That will be the pain side. Um, the gain side would be, look, they've got an opportunity for a new market or they're, they're opening a new factory and they want to make sure it's better. Um, and they'll come to us to work with their people on the shop floor to improve something often through something like a model area or through an initial activity and then uh, helping them to roll that out, if you like, to improve the whole factory. Mm. Um, so as example, like, you know, the, there's a wide range of things. We've uh, we set up a couple of lean academies with people. Uh, you do global lean benchmarking for some businesses. You sometimes work outside of manufacturing and design processes, for example. We, we had one where we upskilled 65 cell leaders and team leaders which saved about 800 grand, but it was to try and get that layer stronger to keep delivering improvements for the business. And last time we spoke, you mentioned the concept of sushi and chips to me. That sounds quite interesting. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah. Well, sushi and chips. So I, I'm, I'm lucky. I, I've had a, I've had a decent, a couple of decent senseis in my life. And, uh, the first one, Mick Sam, uh, Toshiyuki Moroka, the Toyota fella, he taught me two things. He taught me, Everything you do has to have purpose. He would constantly be whispering in my ear, what purpose, what purpose, to make sure that I was focused on doing something of value. Mm. And the second thing he taught me was to reflect. At the end of the day, reflect on what you did well, what you didn't well, because you want to create self-reliance in people so that they can critique their own performance daily, reflect and improve. Sushi and chips came a bit later. Um, and actually, it's the MD of a Japanese business that I consult to now. And he gets on very well with a Japanese parent company because he has a natural innate understanding of the Toyota way. And he understands the Western way. So the way that he describes the way that the UK sites are trying to do lean Toyota style is it isn't sushi. It isn't fish and chips. It's neither Eastern nor Western. It's sushi and chips. So there is a cultural reconciliation, if you like, where we're doing the right stuff to suit our culture that will thrive here. Mm, I love that. It's actually making me hungry just thinking about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and so so you said you had a quite a good experience in Japan. Do you want to just tell us how, how that happened? Where did you start? And um, just give us a bit more color on that. Sure. So uh, I've been to Japan uh, four or five times. I first went for an old employer, a construction manufacturer, global manufacturer of construction equipment, and they were about to buy a Japanese company. So I went over to do the manufacturing due diligence uh, and spent two weeks over there. Loved it. I was a Jap Japanophile before I went because I'd I'd been trained um, by the Japanese, by the Toyota mentors. So that was my first visit. So that cemented a desire to go again. And I've since been back three times for um, clients. 
either working in Japanese factories to help to make improvements or taking uh, some key people from the UK uh, across there and, and helping to translate sushi and chips, the Japanese approach and showing what can be done. So taking it back to the, the, the motherland. Indeed, yeah, because ye- years ago, you know, there was there was a bit of a period in the UK where we would send British uh, MDs would go on tours, study tours to, to Japan for two or three weeks and, and they love it. It would be, they'd have a bit of sushi, they'd go and sing their hearts out in a karaoke bar and they'd ooh and ah their way around some really nice factories. But you don't really get anything to stick because you're not learning through your hands. So then there was, you know, uh, I, was, I was lucky to get into the SMMT industry forum where they brought Japanese mentors over to work with young engineers like me to show us hands-on and, uh, and give us a tough year learning how to do it. So now there is more of an understanding that you can't just send people on industrial tourism. It's of little value. You have to mm. get people to do it side by side with an expert. Right. Have to get stuck in. Otherwise, it is just a jolly, as you say. Yeah. So let's talk about some of your clients and some of the some of the examples of these projects that you're particularly proud of. Uh, can you maybe think of one that helps or illustrates exactly what you're talking about? Well, what's interesting is it. So there's a there's a decent spread. Like a, uh, as I mentioned earlier, one I really really enjoyed was a quick one. There was a small manufacturer injection molder who was cash strapped. It was a recent MBO, um, and I went into the factory for the MD for an hour and a quarter and showed them how to save. Fifty thousand pounds in an hour. Actually, I'm lying. One hour and seventeen minutes for the for the princely sum of twelve pounds. Mm. Not because I'm particularly smart, but but because I've been trained to stand, observe, and look for the right stuff. So that was nice to be able to help them to strip cost out of the business. Not take people out to strip cost out of the business through waste. And then the one that gave me most pleasure was the, uh, I mentioned it earlier upskilling 65 or so supervisors and team leaders being able to work with them on their patches and coach them through hands-on showing them how to do this stuff because they're smart people mm. the, the people who run factories so leaders team is a very smart and they uh, they were failed by our school systems but you take them you take them to their to their part of the factory and do it with them you won't find anybody smarter or quicker to have a go mm-hmm Absolutely. Um, and, and let's sort of look at the whole kind of spectrum of manufacturers. Does lean apply to everybody or does it work better with some sorts of organizations than others? How, how does it kind of spread across? So my experience, both in manufacturing and outside manufacturing, I've yet to find anywhere that it doesn't work. In fact, I've, I've done a bit of work with charities where you have the same safety, quality, delivery, cost, people issues. So, but, but within manufacturing, yeah, it works all over manufacturing because there's a customer, there's a process to transform stuff into a finished good and there's uh, there's problems within it and there's value to be delivered. But you do have to approach it differently. Lean done badly is cookie cutter, copy and paste. Mm. So people just, they just try and do the same thing everywhere. Right, we'll start with 5S or we'll start with standardized work. And it doesn't work. You have to look at the context in front of you. So you have to develop a diagnostic understanding and be able to link what you see in the factory to what the business need is and help them to plot a path. And so, you know, you got you have to take account of the manufacturer. So, for example, someone like a wine bottling plant or a whiskey bottling plant or a pharmaceutical plant, very high capital intensive equipment, not so many people. So uptime is really important. So they're going to want to know all about uh, TPM, uh, quick changeover, that kind of thing and uh, maintenance. 
Whereas if you go to a manufacturer where there's lots of assembly and there's lots of manual assembly, it's a very different thing. You have to use a different set of tools for a different set of weaknesses. And at what stage do manufacturers typically get in touch with you to ask for help? What, what's going on in their businesses when they, when they come to you? So it, it varies. Um, we don't always say yes. Um, I'll start by saying we'll say no if the wrong person comes to us. So if somebody has been instructed to go and get people trained in a specific tool and they just want that tool and then they want you to clear off, not particularly interested because it means they're not serious about uh, doing it. If somebody senior wants to have a conversation and is prepared to talk about their pain, it doesn't matter what condition they're in. If they are prepared to recognize their pain and they want to do something about it, then you can make some really good inroads. And if they are prepared to actively participate in doing that um, as, as an MD or ops director, then then great. So, um, yeah, they'll they'll come with either, as I said earlier, pain or gain. And uh, you have to make a judgment very early about whether they are serious or whether they're just doing it because they think they should or they want the kudos of it. And are there other things that you struggle with sometimes? Are there other difficulties worth highlighting? So, you know, there's there's a short termism I talked about earlier. Um, people don't link wanting to do lean to a business need. They just want to show some tools or showcase their factory or the parent company says you have to do it. Um, just get it done. And the difficulty, one of the most significant difficulties is that everybody enjoys the party. So the actual initial improvement activity. Right. Okay. Uh, because there's, there's energy, there's activity and you, you're getting something improved, but the real trick is sustaining that and keeping improving it. And to do that, you have to surrender yourself to wanting to stay involved, wanting to keep on top of that, wanting to keep going to the factory and looking and understanding and finding improvements. And often people want a, a silver bullet that you only have to fire once and it doesn't work like that. Right. Lean is a gift that keeps giving, but you have to keep wrapping the gift. Right. Absolutely. Um, so let's widen this out then and talk about the manufacturing industry uh, in general. Uh, as you look at manufacturing as a whole, what do you feel are the most pressing challenges across the industry today? So first of all, there's there's the pressing stuff, the, the stuff about um, recovering from COVID, depressed volume, uh, pent up demand, etc. The supply chain issues we currently have with Brexit, with the, ha- with the hangover from the Suez Canal and, and the COVID supply chain issues. I'm not going to talk about that because that's well known and there's been a lot of talk about that. Then there's the, the strategic highfalutin challenges, if you like, that the industries face. So, you know, manufacturing and automotive, for example, there are four big challenges in the near future, which is sometimes called case. Four challenges held up five fingers, case uh, or aces. <laughs> and cases, connectivity, sharing, electrification, and um, the AI I've just forgotten, blimey. So uh, connectivity is cars that are connected, if you like, via the, the internet or the cloud to uh, other devices. Sharing is um, people not owning cars, people sharing, lift sharing, sharing the ownership of cars and leasing together. Electrification is a big one. Um, and then autonomous is, is the one I forgot. And autonomous is you've heard of self-driving cars, uh, feet off, hands off, brain off. And we can spend a lot of time thinking about these big challenges and they matter because the combustion engine is coming to an end. Mm. But what it's driving currently is a big move to industry 4.0. Um, 
and digital manufacturing, which is a which has its real benefits. But there's a lot of emphasis on things and machines and better machines and censoring and AI and big data. And there's not enough emphasis on leveraging digital to upskill people. So three of the biggest challenges I see are the skills of people to keep up in a digital world. Um, the environmental stuff, things, things like sustainable development goals, making sure that companies are doing their bit for that. And also attracting people into attracting a younger generation who think manufacturing is still a bit dirty into manufacturing. And how, how do you think we, we change that around? How do we sort of deal with that skills gap? So there's a couple of things here. Firstly, you have to, we have to make sure that we, are, that we are attracted talent. So in a lot of countries in the world, places like Russia and Japan, they have a big they have a big problem with the demographic shift. Uh, they're not they're, the, the birth rate is falling and people are getting older. So they're having to work out how to make work easier for very old people. So if you're 70 plus, can you still work on an assembly line? So to, Toyota are working on that, making the burden of working there very, very simpler. We have a, we have a problem whereby we can't attract enough young people into industry who will want to get involved and spend a career learning about manufacturing and progressing through it, even though the salaries are very good and the possibilities and career choices are very good. Um, and I think it's because we don't really respect manufacturing in this country and the skills behind it. We think it's a bit past its time, even though it's a, you know, it's a jobs engine and something like 50% of the, of the economy relies in some way or another on manufacturing. Put, put manufacturing to one side, retail and wholesale and uh, building houses, health and uh, medical devices, all these things need manufacturing. You've got to make stuff. Mm. So I think we have to make it more attractive, attract the right caliber of person. And then I think we have to give people career pathways through manufacturing and things like degree apprenticeships, which have now become a lot more rosily looked upon to help people progress Skills come from learning and learning by doing in manufacturing. And uh, so we have to encourage that. And what about diversity and gender representation? How are we doing on those scores? In manufacturing, uh, not well enough. Um, so some things have been the same for a long time. So, for example, if you go into any manufacturer, let's talk about the medium to large ones first. If you go into the offices within HR, finance and purchasing, you will see a decent gender split in the office side. If you go onto the shop floor, you will see a decent gender split, uh, more so working at the operator hands-on level, adding value, particularly in assembly plants. But if you look at the supervisory levels, team leader, supervisor, manager, director, there is, women are woefully underrepresented still in those areas, actually managing and leading the factories. And the ones I've seen over the years, they bring a very nice energy balance to the way that factories work away from, you know, just one gender dominating. So I, I've spent a career trying to encourage people to progress women through because good people are good people, irrespective of gender. But then if you look at the SME sector, there's, a, and I see quite a lot of this, there are particularly family owned companies where the daughter has been, has been uh, encouraged through the family and you just look on LinkedIn, there are thriving SME manufacturers 
where there is a woman running the business. So the exemplars are there. It's just that corporates have caught on late. They're not promoting the right people. Mm, so still a lot of work to do. I think so. And as we look to the future then, um, as we sort of drag ourselves out of all the, these problems we've had with um, COVID and Brexit, as you mentioned before, what would you like to see the leaders in the industry pushing? What would you like to see government addressing? How can we move forward in the most dynamic way possible? So, um, so leaders and government. Well, government need, need a coherent strategy, which, which they almost had towards manufacturing. But, but then recently they've, they've tried to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I'll come back to that. Leaders need to take ownership for the problem, which I think they are more and more. Let's start with um, government. There was an industrial strategy and people like uh, Jürgen Meyer and others, uh, Make UK, Made Smarter, really worked hard to try to put get an industrial strategy that's coherent for Britain as a manufacturer because we need to make stuff as well as being a service industry. The government has stopped that now and is... is putting something else in place. So I still think at top government levels, there is not a recognition of the importance of manufacturing. And the fact that that's gone by the wayside is a problem. Um, There is no minister for manufacturing. And that worries me because we used to be seventh in the world in terms of uh, GDP manufacturing. And now we're ninth. So we're slipping and we're not getting skilled enough quick enough now. So the government has a part to play. To be fair to them, they are putting money into certain things through things like Innovate UK, the the Industry 4.0 stuff, but there is a deeper strategic piece. If you look at the leaders in manufacturing, they have to take ownership of the fact that our schools don't prepare people for manufacturing. The kind of people who thrive in manufacturing don't like academic classroom environments. So they're having to take those people and backfill them and shape them into what we need them to be. They are taking more responsibility for that, but it's there's there's a long way to go. And I think leaders also have to remember in the scramble for digital manufacturing and in industry 4.0, it ain't just about machines and things. You can spend half a million quid on a machine and you can use industry 4.0 and censoring to see where the issue is inside the machine. But once you've found that kind of an opportunity, a person will deliver it for you. So we have to develop the people and the way they look and see. Well, let's hope that uh, we move in the right direction after everybody gets uh, out of lockdown and things get back to normal. Yeah. So we'll end the show in the same way we do each week. I'm going to ask you um, about your favourite invention. If it was never manufactured, your life would be unbearable. Uh, what would you go for? What's the most important invention for you? It's tricky, this, you know, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame it and preface it by saying, of course, it's, it's a first world problem because... I won life's life's lottery. I was I was born a male in a stable Western democracy, so I got, I got nothing to complain about. Um, however, can I can I give you two? Um, sure. And the first the first one is paper, because I've always had a love of reading. Uh, when when I'm not in factories, I'm I'm reading. So uh, I would struggle without paper, and I, and I also have a hobby of origami. I like I like to make stuff with paper. So that I'd have been a struggle if the oh, Chinese nice. if the Chinese hadn't invented paper. Back to manufacturing 1.0. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. Um, and the second answer is simply craft beer. If uh, if somebody hadn't invented mead beer y- years ago and then it, it developed into, into craft beer, I may well weep slightly every day. Wow. Okay. Well, I will. I will join you when it's when we're all a- allowed out again for a beer and origami session, if that's all right. Fabulous. 
All it leaves me to do then is to say thanks to today's guest, Russell Watkins, uh, for a great chat. Subscribe to this podcast in all the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon and Google Music. Thanks for listening to this edition of Remake Manufacturing. I'm your host, Stuart Black. See you next time. Bye.